You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Today we get to meet Meredith Mahoney. She's the CEO and co-founder of Lantern, a startup cannabis marketplace with an order-on-demand delivery service that was first launched in Boston and is expanding to other cities across the country. She partners with local dispensaries and delivery services to offer a wide selection of cannabis products available for purchase and delivery from the Lantern Marketplace. Meredith shares how she built Lantern from scratch and the tactics they use to drive brand awareness. Her goal is for consumers to think Lantern when they want cannabis products delivered to their door. Let's meet Meredith. Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining. Of course. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the invite, and uh, it's, uh, thanks for doing this early on a Monday morning. I appreciate it. I was at MJ Unpacked and wanted to catch your um, panel discussion, but it was just so hectic and crazy. I, I didn't get to go over there, but um, how, did, how did that go? Oh, it was great. We had, um, we had a decent crowd, and uh, the conversation was, was great. I mean, we had um, Brett Heyman was on the, on the panel from Evie Parker, and then we had a, a great, um, uh, I forgot his last name, his name's Darnell, I forgot his last name, but he was representing a brand out of California, so it was just like a really good mix of different points of view. But yes, agree, it was very hectic those couple days. Yes. Did you, did you stay both days? I was in New York for a few days, but I only was at the, the conference for about a half day. I had a lot of other meetings going on around the city, kind of uh, related to the, the conference, but in other places. Yeah, I thought I thought the show was really good. I did too. It was really, it was great. It's like great to see it on the East Coast. It's like, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It was really great. Um, so anyway, so let's start with you and uh, Lantern. Um, I really want to, yeah, dive into it and, and learn more about what you're doing there. Um, so I was just thought we could just start out if you could just give us an elevator pitch of what Lantern is. Yeah, of course. Um, so Lantern is a cannabis e-commerce and delivery platform. Um, so you can think of us as the marketplace where consumers can go to see a lot of different selection. They can do price comparisons. Our goal is to have the cannabis shopping experience feel like any other um, shopping experience you're having online. And um, we essentially connect the consumer to all of the products available to be delivered to their address. They shop, um, kind of build their cart the way they would anywhere else, and then we facilitate the order. And then depending on the state that we're in, because um, different states handle it different ways, either a third-party courier delivers the order to the customer or a retail employee. So we're um, only delivery, we are e-commerce marketplace, no brick and mortar, and we really feel like this is the future of um, the way cannabis consumers are going to shop. Are, are, is your competition Dutchie and iHeartJane? And Yeah, I guess when we think about who our competitors are, we're actually kind of broadening the question a bit, and we're thinking about where are consumers spending their cannabis dollars, and that is in stores, online, um, you know, frankly, sometimes in the illicit market. Um, and, and actually, you know, we think that those dollars can go to all of those places and, and the consumer can, you know, 
have the experience they want in all these, these other places. I think what makes us different than Dutchie and Jane is that Dutchie and Jane really started as a B2B solution, and that's really where they're spending almost all of their resources and technology time. They're building white-label e-commerce solutions for dispensaries as well as payment solutions, um, and they really don't have a lot of focus on the consumer marketplace, really, if any. Um, and so what we're doing instead is we don't do anything B2B. We're fully building for the consumer. We're 100% focused on this consumer experience um, from you know the minute someone thinks, okay, I want to um, buy some cannabis today through the end to the order. And then on the, I would say the other competitor we think of are the dispensaries um, and you know, we just provide a digital experience is just different than a store experience, and they both have a place. I think what you see is that in other categories, omnichannel consumers um, that shop both digitally and in brick and mortar with the same brand um, or across brands, they actually spend more dollars in that category. So we're the solution for someone who wants to take their time a bit more, really understand the full selection across a lot of dispensaries, get the best price, maybe try something new. And then their neighborhood dispensary is where, you know, they're connected to the local community. They might know the bud tenders there. They may want to like talk it through with someone. So we do compete with the stores, but we actually think that, um, you know, there's kind of a symbiotic relationship with them. Mm. So really Dutchie and iHeart are more like marketing platforms to promote the products in, for, in, in the different stores. They're almost like Shopify, if you know Shopify and other product categories. Shopify doesn't do cannabis, but Shopify powers almost every e-commerce website that anyone shops on. Um, and so that's yeah. the solution that, yeah, um, you can kind of like white label your brand on top of the platform. And that's what Dutchie and Jane primarily do, and they do it really, really well. Um, they own together about 90% of market share in the U.S. for that. Um, so that is not anywhere we're going to play. They're doing a great job there. Yeah, and I, I really agree that we need more e-commerce online um, platforms for people to browse and, you know, learn about different products because supposedly the data tells us that it's like the 80-20 rule where 20% um, of the products in dispensaries are the ones, um, you know, generating the most revenue for the store, which leaves the 80% you know, hanging out there. And also not every product can get into every dispensary. So we, I really think we, we definitely need a, a great online e-commerce platform for products for the little guys to start making it in the marketplace and, you know, and competing against the products that MSOs are, are, are making themselves and selling in their, in their dispensaries, you know, battle that yes. problem. So. We believe that too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's true. Um, that's the way the little guys are going to make it. Yeah, um, this is great. So how many states are you operating in? We're currently in three. We're in uh, Massachusetts, in, uh, the Boston area. We're in um, Detroit, Michigan, and a couple other cities there, Ann Arbor. Um, uh, sorry, Grand Rapids. <laughs> Just had a blank moment there. Oh. And then uh, we're also launching Denver this week, actually. Oh, so you're going basically city by city because I haven't gotten to this question yet, but it's because you partner with delivery services, right? 
to yeah so because we're focused on delivery that really lends itself to urban areas more so than you know less population densities so we're we're really focused on the cities and um you know we like in the boston area we started very very much in the city center and we're kind of moving out from there so we're covering most of the suburbs now but yeah we we tend to stick to the major cities and um I heard that you're, you've started an incubator program to help people launch their delivery services. Yeah, so we, we actually run five incubators now. We're in the, in the three states that I just mentioned, as well as New Jersey, and then we just launched New York. And we facilitate actually almost all license types. Delivery is just one. So we're, um, we have applicants apply to the incubator. Um, we usually choose between 25 and 50, depending on um, how much bandwidth we have. Um, and then we, we bring in outside facilitators, not just us. We, we do a couple of the sessions, but we bring in attorneys, we bring in business owners, we bring in advocates, we bring in regulators, just to kind of help the social equity founders navigate the process. And um, it's been really successful. We've, we've made a lot of great connections. I think we've played a small part in some of these businesses getting off the ground, particularly in Massachusetts. We, um, we've just seen a lot of success there, and uh, we're hoping to do a lot more of it. In, in Boston, it's kind of just us, and then in Denver and Detroit, we partner with local advocacy groups there. We just kind of um, back them up. Uh, with whatever we can help with with curriculum and facilitating and then in uh, new york and new jersey we're partnered with just an amazing group of um you know new state level pardon me advocacy groups uh you know attorney like you name it in cannabis kind of the who's who of cannabis is working with us in new york and new jersey oh it's interesting one of the um the a handful of the folks that went through our incubator in the Boston area in 2019-2020 ended up getting together. They met through our incubator. They created the Trade Association for Delivery Drivers and Couriers uh, in Massachusetts, and that group went out and lobbied for that license type and that exclusive period. So we, we feel very connected to that. We feel very, uh, you know, we didn't put it all together. They certainly get credit for that, but you know, I think we played some small part in kind of helping get that community together and kind of mobilize that license oh, that's great great yeah well go go help them in denver they need it <laughs> <laughs> well we work with them we were a group called the color of cannabis out there uh the woman who runs it is named uh sarah colette um and she's fantastic so we're just you know we're kind of ramping up the operations uh this month and really working with um some great courier groups out there so um, so I know that also Lantern is uh, part of Uber and Drizzly. Is that so we're right? actually not. We were uh, incubated within Drizzly. One of the co-founders of Drizzly uh, peeled off that business and founded Lantern with me within the Drizzly group. Um, we actually peeled out of that business, that holding company, whenever Uber acquired Drizzly. So... Drizzly is part of Uber. We are not. We're independent. Um, we've always operated independently, but now we're truly independent. Oh, okay. So I was wondering if you were doing any work with the Uber drivers, if there was any integration there. But obviously, no. Okay, they're so going to stay out of the U.S. Um, until I think some of the banking laws uh, probably happen. Um, it's just too risky for them as a public company. 
they're doing some stuff in Canada, but uh, we're not part of that. Okay, got it. Um, so how does how does Lantern monetize its business? So because there's charge, no delivery fee, right? Well, no. So the we charge the retailers a very very small fee for every order that we send them. There's no for the retailers. There's no like monthly fee or subscription fee or anything like that. We just they pay us for the volume that we drive. And then um, the dispensaries themselves actually set whatever delivery fee they want to set. And so you may find, like in Massachusetts and Boston, all of our partners have free delivery. I think in Denver, you'll see some of them have free delivery, some have $5 delivery. And then when the consumer is shopping, that's part of their decision making, right? Do they want to pay a delivery fee or do they not want to? Um, and we don't control any of that. The dispensaries just flow that through. Okay, so so you so you monetize through a, a percentage of the sale. Yeah, and, we, and, we and that's a, we do a flat fee. I'm sorry. Yep. Okay, a flat fee. Okay, and it's um so so basically so you're kind of considered a, a marketing engine also for the dispensaries. That's kind of what you're go is that your pitch to them when you go in there and try to get them to sign up yeah. for Lantern. Yeah, I think we probably phrased it a little bit differently, which is, you know, in order to for delivery to be profitable, you have to have volume and it keeps the drivers busy. It keeps, you know, you, volume drives uh, profit there. And so it's very hard for the dispensaries to market at the scale that we can market. Um, like if you came to Boston today, you would see Lantern ads all over the city. And so um, what we're trying to do is really build a brand around cannabis um you know, when, when someone thinks I want cannabis delivered, they should think Lantern. Um, so we are, yes, we are going to drive volume for them. We prominently feature their dispensary name throughout the shopping process. The brands are getting a lot of um, really deep content um, and information to the customers. So um, that's kind of that's kind of the way we we approach it. I think the reason we don't talk about us being a marketing platform is. Um, Weed maps has really gone out that way, and um, retailers pay for spots. They pay for the top spot, the second spot. We don't allow any of that. We let the we let the consumer behavior drive the ranking of the products, and um, you know, basically, the dispensaries can't pay for like spots on the site. Oh, that is so fantastic! Because you never it, that it's true. You never really know the real truth behind what's popular or what isn't or yeah oh that's that's really good to know that's that's something you should promote yeah <laughs> um, yes. definitely um so i'm just curious what are the insights that you're seeing in the i guess the any of the markets that you're in like regarding consumer choices or or their profiles, like who are they? What are they buying? Just in kind of general, great data, if you could share any of that with us. Yeah, so no surprise, flowers are top category, um, but edibles is kind of right behind that. One thing I think that's interesting is we are seeing really quick uh, growth in the beverage, in the infused beverage category. Uh, I think a lot of people are seeing that, but one of the top brands, Levia, was actually um, created here in Massachusetts and um, is a really popular brand for us. Can is as well. Um, I think that's just a great category for consumers that are, you know, trying to 
make the leap to cannabis or kind of want a consumption method that's more socially acceptable, and they can do that when they're drinking with their friends. So, yeah, flower number one, edibles number two, right behind it, and then uh, I would say the fastest growing is infused beverages. Yeah, beverages are they're so interesting to see how that's shaping up, um, getting ready for those consumption lounges. Yes. Uh, do you see the... I've seen a rise out there um, in a trending in infused pre-rolls. Are you seeing that? I saw it at the show too. We have, we have seen that and we were, uh, it's funny story, a couple of our team members were out in Denver getting ready for the launch and they were doing some, you know, just some shopping in some of the dispensaries and one of the bud tenders was like, here's an infused pre-roll, it's perfect just for a chill afternoon and it was like, I don't know, 30 milligrams of <laughs> So it's, this is just like another reason why, you know, marketplaces are so important because, you know, for the bud, that bud tender, yes, that's a chill afternoon for guys on my <laughs> team, not so much. So it's just really important to like have kind of an objective flow of information around the product and have it personalized to you and you can kind of figure out what you want, what you need. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure that bartender wasn't meant very well, but they both would have been, you know, laid up for the rest of the weekend had they had they bought that. Yeah. Well, I know. I, I I actually thought the same thing that it's obviously for the high THC consumer, but then someone pointed out to me, and I didn't really think about this. The other advantage of the uh, infused pre rolls is you don't need to smoke as much, and right. and then you're not you're not inhaling as much smoke you know, damage on your lung, you know, smoke damage. So I thought that was just kind of interesting for the one who, the person who likes to smoke yeah. over the other different ways. So, but yeah, yeah, I was just looking at the, different, yeah, the different ways that they're infusing the pre-rolls and how they're all trying to do that. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy. Are you seeing, um, how, how about the elderly community? Is that represented? Yeah, we definitely have, we do, we kind of have a, wide range of um, demographics. I mean, I think that uh, <laughs> I think that you've got kind of this like 25 to 40 crowd that's really plugged into e-commerce and apps and so that skews it a little bit but certainly we do have an older crowd and we do um, medical delivery in the Boston area as well. It's not a huge part of the business. It's probably about 15%, but those customers um, are extremely loyal. They're very sticky and, you know, they come back over and over again to Lantern. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure that there needs to be a lot, well, there does need to be a lot of education in this community to bring them in. And they're going to be a huge part once they finally accept it and trust it and, you know, come into the marketplace and get into the rec, um, the rec area. So I'm just, yeah, I've just I been looking at that recently that the 65 plus crowd nationally was the biggest uh, percent of consumers. Um, so a huge, huge opportunity. So you mean they're, they're, the, they're the biggest uh, consumer now? Uh, in the medical? Um, na nationally. Um, and, and I don't remember, uh, don't quote me, because I think I read that in a, a uh, interview I was reading with someone the other day, so probably fact check me on that. But I definitely oh yeah yeah like wow I didn't realize that that was such a big consumer. But if you think about like how big Florida market is, the Arizona market, I mean those markets are billions of dollars. Florida I think is almost two billion, uh, and it's just the medical market. Um, it's just pretty staggering. 
yeah, it's a it's a big uh, group that we should tap into. So yes. um, so I guess the last question is your marketing strategy. I know this is what you're known for is I think startups and driving driving traffic to websites. Like how do you do that being unknown? Like what it what is this what is the tactic? Yeah. What, what is your um, strategy? This was a lot of what our panel was on last week. Uh, we're obviously pretty constrained in cannabis because we can't use any of the paid social um, tactics, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Uh, we can't use Google's paid ads. However, I kind of think that that can be a blessing because if you're a startup in the consumer space, those that advertising is extremely expensive and you can burn through a lot of cash pretty quickly. It does force us to be creative. So I think all of us are kind of using these, what we call out-of-home channels, that's billboards, that's, you know, wrapping your ads around trash cans. It's those kiosks you see, you know, walking around the city. Um, we do some digital advertising, like there's some networks that allow it, um, kind of closed networks, uh, you know, with a 21 plus audience. We, uh, we do a lot of like partnerships and um, uh, influencer, we do some influencer stuff. Um, we do a lot of like SEO, so a lot of search engine optimization. People are finding us through straight, our strain guide for some of our products. Um, and we sponsor, we sponsor concerts. We kind of like, <laughs> you know, you name it, we try to do it. We, we just try to get really creative with um, being out in the community, working with, you know, not just the cannabis consumers, but also just generally who are the 21 plus folks out there in the community? Where are they and how can we reach them? I mean, like to get kind of like fringe, we in Denver, we have bar coasters all over the city starting this weekend. So like you'll go into several bars, you'll get your coaster, lantern. Really building a brand is just about being anywhere a customer might see you very intensely for like a six month period because then when they start um it, it typically takes a customer i don't know about cannabis but in a lot of other consumer categories they have to see your brand 11 to 15 times before they make a purchase um so we yes. have to be like they have to see us over and over and over right right so that's cool like uh, um that you're targeting the alcohol well everybody most people drink alcohol but the yeah. bar coasters and just to kind of bring the the can of curious that prefer the alcohol or never really tried it before it's that that's really clever how about radio or tv we do radio um tv we've uh we're going to be getting into some streaming tv services later in the year um primarily just because we have to make sure we're hitting a 21 plus audience and that's hard to do on network tv um but yeah radio is one of the biggest channels in Boston, and that'll be starting up in Denver in the next couple of weeks, and then, uh, yeah, TV later. And I'm always curious about um, influencers in the space. Is that something, how, how do, are you using influencers on social media? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I think uh, kind of the term influencer out there in the zeitgeist is just like social media influencer. We've done a little bit of that. I think it's also just like I kind of broaden it out to who are the people in the community they may not be famous but who are like the people that are on the forefront of the new thing I mean another kind of advertising word for them are the social mavens um, so how do you tap into those people whether they're 
just influential in their small neighborhood or um <laughs> we were talking and right. we're not doing this yet but we were talking like in retirement communities who are kind of the people on the front lines who live there that are really like knowing what is new and happening so that that's you know a little bit wider of a net that we're trying to cast again is just like getting to know the people in the community that um help bring things to the rest of the community that's a great idea to look at it like that. So influencers, not in the sense of like these social media people, because social media is, is very limited for us. I mean, it is, you know, that's the other thing. A lot it, of influencers are pretty concerned about their, their, their accounts getting shut down. Uh, and uh, so, you know, they, that's their, that's their livelihood. So, you know, if they're a cannabis influencer, they kind of know the deal. If they're outside of their wellness or, um, food or whatever, they, they really aren't excited to take the risk. And I can't say I blame them actually. It's pretty risky. Yeah, no, sure. They'll yeah. get, oh my gosh, they'll lose all those, those. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, point. they'll use, so. they'll lose like years and years of work. Right, right. Okay, got it. I see. Okay. Oh, wow. This is great. Um, I wish you a lot of luck and thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with me today. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. It was great to meet you today. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.